some time ago, we worked through a series of uh, 12 uh, messages on the historical, um, the father, forefather uh, of the uh, Jewish faith and ultimately the Christian faith, uh, Abraham. And um, it was a great time. If you want to dig into the past, by all means, get onto the website. You can download all of those 12 uh, messages if you want to and just uh, create a foundation for yourself, even better than listening to the messages, I guess. Pick up your Bibles and read the early chapters that build up to chapter 24 here, where we see uh, what we've described here as the, uh, the sons of the Father. We've spent quite a bit of time over these past months in the New Testament, so we thought we'd go right back now and we'd carry on in this journey, this journey of um, the the preparation, if you like, uh, for um, where we are today. I think there's a few things for us to just bear in mind when we go to this, uh, this ancient book, I, I guess one of many of the things that we, we look at it and we see it's just so far away from our own experience, isn't it? Um, the idea that uh, any kind of journey would take literally weeks or months, that's the kind of journey that we see described in this particular narrative. Uh, The idea that, uh, imagine the experience, it's hard for us in our culture today to imagine the experience of seeing somebody leave on a journey and and just seeing them kind of disappear over the horizon and realizing that that is it. You are out of contact. There is no way of communicating with that person until they arrive back. It's so distant, isn't it, from our own experience. We can phone people, we can email, we can Skype, we can do just about any kind of communication means. And yet what we see here is a world which is described to us, which is creating an essential foundation for us so that we can live better, so that we can live more appropriately in the world that we now live in, because of what we see laid out there. A reminder for us of what Paul encourages Timothy to see is that the Scripture, when he uses the word Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament, is useful for you in all of the ways in which your faith needs to be built up. All of the ways in which you need to develop as a Christian and as you teach that church at Ephesus The scriptures that we have are the foundation for you to do that. Now, just remind ourselves, we might see Abraham's world as so distant and therefore we might be tempted to think it is irrelevant. We need to remind ourselves that the first hearers in Ephesus would have thought just the same. We think that Skype and mobile phones and all of that are are kind of leading edge the, the, New, the New Testament Christians in Ephesus would have thought that the Roman uh, communication methodologies that had been developed made the past irrelevant. You see, it's relative, isn't it? It's a relative context and concept how far we've developed. It, it, it's, it means that where we are now, we are happen to be where we are. We're talking about this, this afternoon. We're saying, you know... Um, I think it was Mike said, um, 
TV, a TV advert came on and, you know, what you can do with your mobile phone is kind of amazing now. And he said, you know, it was only a few years ago where Snake was the really cool thing that you could do with your mobile phone. Those of you who remember Snake, where you had to connect up the dots, and some of you younger here are thinking, what's Snake? It's kind of this strange thing. That's, that's how quickly it's developed. But it's relative. In other words, in future generations, they will think that we are irrelevant. And yet what we see, God is encouraging us to see, is that his dealing with humanity throughout time is always relevant for us. Because there are deeper truths rather than the surface issues of how it works out. There are deeper issues at stake. There are issues of how do we know God? Issues of how can we trust that God who is described? How does our relationship with him work? All of those truths about what we know of God, we find laid out for us. It's great to know that the God that we trust in, the God that we worship, is not a God who suddenly appeared, but rather a God who has continuously revealed himself to us. What we see here is the foundations of the Christian faith as we live it today, worked out. So let's just park the ideas of thinking that this is some distant, dusty story. I think what we see here, just as our introduction, we see uh, three things that we need to understand in knowing God. We see knowing Him in ordinary life, we see knowing Him by trusting in Him, and we see knowing Him by His faithfulness to us. They're the three things that we're going to see. So let's dig in and see where we've got to. We break into the story which says Abraham was now very old. Those of you who are aware of the previous story, the relationship between Abraham and the other character in this story, Isaac, is absolutely essential. God spoke to Abraham and to his wife Sarah and said that you are going to have a child who is going to be the future hope. It's going to be the future hope. He said that at a time where in human terms it seemed impossible for them to have children. Sarah was old and yet she conceived. And what God had promised was actually what had come to fruition. The future nation that I have promised to to birth through you, Abraham, is rooted in you and Sarah, this old couple, and Isaac is the outcome. What's happened since is that Abraham has been taken through a journey of understanding how to trust in that God who has said that, when that God says, now I want you to sacrifice that one who, you've, who I've said is the root of hope. Go and sacrifice Isaac. And uh, Abraham takes Isaac and in a, an amazing way God uh, creates a substitute for Isaac in the way of a ram that becomes the sacrifice. Time has moved on. Sarah has died. And in a sense, we have the same crisis rearing its head again. Isaac hasn't got a wife, a partner. Do you see the the picture here of crisis? 
If we take our minds back to what God has said, he said, I am promising you that through your offspring, Abraham and Sarah, there's going to be a nation. A great nation is going to be birthed through you. But Isaac is single. He hasn't got a partner. So how's that going to work out? He's obviously by now aging. Sarah has died. Abraham is old as well. He's looking at this thinking, right, I have a responsibility in some sense. So here we have this perspective. We see that life in knowing God is lived out through ordinary experiences. Our ordinary life is how we live our experience of knowing God. Look at how it works out. He gets hold of his senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had. Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will go and get a wife for my son from the daughters of the, not from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. That's what I want you to do. It's a fascinating little cameo that we see here. In fact, this chapter, it goes on for um, uh, 66 verses. It's, it's great kind of slowly moving narrative, this story of it, this picture that starts with this, go and find a wife for Isaac. 66 verses of story as we see, is that going to work out? Is what God has said going to work out? Abraham takes the responsibility and says, go and find a partner. Isn't it interesting that? Isn't it interesting what he says? He says, go and find a partner, a wife for Isaac from my own people back in the land that God had sent me from. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Why doesn't Abraham just say, Isaac's at the age he is, now just go and find a partner from the Canaanites? Why is that? Because Abraham has got an understanding of what God has said to him. He said, right, I'm going to take you from your people group, bearing in mind that it was the cultural norm in that day for you to remain within your people group, for you to marry within your people group, for your people group to be uh, secured and strengthened, and, and, and every people group would be looking for hope in their people group. That's where security came from. You stuck together in a land which it was easily easy to be picked out by ones and twos. Uh, you would stay together and security was in those numbers. And yet God had said, I want you to take your tiny little family and I want you to move away and go and live in this land because I am giving you this land. And that's Abraham's issue. He's got, he's got a tension in his mind. On the one hand, he absolutely knows that God has promised him this land. On the other hand, he knows that that doesn't mean that I'm just going to be absorbed into this land. I'm not here just for Isaac to be absorbed into the, the, ma the mass of Canaanites. 
Hebrews puts it like this. Because it's an issue of faith. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. See that? That's how essential this decision is. By faith, he lived in a strange land as a foreigner. That's part of the decision that he's making here, to send his servant to find a wife for Isaac from his people group, not from amongst the people that are around him. You see, it's lived out in the ordinary. It's lived out in the the decisions that we make. It's lived out in the determination to live a distinct life, a life which is lived understanding who I am. That's Abraham's conviction. I know who I am. I'm absolutely sure I know who I am. I am the one who God has spoken to, who has moved me from my people group into this land because God has said I'm going to be given this land and at the same time I am a foreigner in this land. Isn't isn't he handling a whole load of tensions? Added to which he says, right, I'm going to to carry on a a cultural norm of, uh, of making oaths. Put your hand under my thigh, he says to his servant. And, uh, and the servant does that. It, it's a tradition, it's a, a cultural way, normal for the day, of making an oath. Literally put your hand under my thigh. Grab a hold of me, is what Abraham is saying. It's a way of expressing a promise, normal to the day. You see the way Abraham is living? Isn't it an incredibly important lesson for us? You see, it doesn't matter whether our cultural norm is to shake hands or to sign a contract or to put our hand under each other's thigh in terms of making a promise. What Abraham has come to terms with, what he understands, is my life is first and foremost to be lived out in the ordinary aspects as best I can, living wisely before God first. That's the issue. I am, I am aiming first and foremost to live wisely before God in terms of the promises that he has made to me. Ordinary life. I want to encourage us to think about that in our own context. What Abraham gives us a tremendous example here of holding the tension of different aspects. Different aspects of who I am. I know that I have a promise from God. I know that I am called to certain things. And yet I'm living it out in the ordinary day-to-day life. I'm not sitting here thinking, God's made a promise. God's made a promise that I'm going to uh, birth a great nation through Isaac, my son. Therefore, I can just sit back and sit back and let it happen. Abraham takes responsibilities, makes decisions. But the decisions are made in the light of who he knows he is. I guess all of us in the room here, we make decisions in life based on all sorts of different decisions, don't we? You know, some of the decisions that we make are relatively 
unimportant, comparatively speaking. You know, what you'll go home and eat tonight, in the scheme of things, unless it's incredibly unhealthy and dangerous and, you know, causes you all sorts of issues and all that, that relatively speaking, it's unimportant. But the big decisions in life, we always make those decisions based on certain perspectives. Here's an opportunity for us to stop and think. On what basis do I make my big life decisions? Do I make my big life decisions with an assessment of what is going to be the most ultimately secure and profitable in this world? Do I make those big life decisions based on how well it's going to turn out for my children? Do I make those big life decisions on the basis of how much money I'm going to... I'm going to make? Do I make those big life decisions based on whether I'm going to be uh, seen as the right kind of person in society? All of those decision uh, frameworks give us an opportunity to secure ourselves as the, the, as the core of the identity of the decision. Alternatively, we might make those decisions based on my knowledge of who I am. I know that I am a believer in the Lord Jesus. I know that I am called, therefore, to live in a particular way. I know that I am called to live, as Abraham later is described, as living as a stranger in a foreign land. Living in a way which doesn't make this my permanent home. Doesn't make this my security. That's the picture that we see Abraham living out. So the first thing that we see here in this decision, he's living it out in ordinary life because he knows who God is. Secondly, we see that he lives it out by trusting in that God. There's a difference between those two. One is knowing that God is there and exists and I'm seeking to live in a particular way. But is that just a hope? Or is it a confidence that I can live like that and really trust in him? That's the decision that Abraham makes. Look at verse 7. The servants asked to do this particular job of going off to um, find a bride for Isaac from his own family. But there's a question, isn't there? Inevitably, there's probably, there's months of journey for a start. So it's not as though we can get there and make a quick call back just to try to work out who the right person is. But there's a fundamental question, isn't there? He's going to go all of the way, months of journey, but, verse 5, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? That's a key question, isn't it? This is not about finding a wife, although it is about finding a wife. 
This is about securing the promise of God, a great nation, out of Isaac specifically. What is going to happen if I go all the way over there, months of travel, seem to find the right person, and she says, no, I'm not going to travel all the way back. I'm not going to leave my land. You've got to go and get him to come here. What do I do then? Look at the way Abraham responds. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. I am absolutely sure of the God who is in this. Essentially, that's what Abraham is saying. I'm utterly convinced of the God who is working this out. He's gone before. He's preparing the ground. He's making it clear. The barriers are there. But I know that he has already broken down barriers in the past. I know that he's done those things in the past. And therefore, I know that he'll do them in the future. But look at how he goes on. Uh, Look at how he goes on and speaks. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. Again, we see Abraham holding holding things in tension. Don't you think, don't you think if Abraham um, is utterly convinced that God's going to send his angel ahead of him, ahead of the servant, and secure the promise that he's made, don't you think he can say, therefore, it'll all work out fine? And yet what he does say is God will send his angel ahead, but if she's unwilling, if she's unwilling, don't take my son there. That's a great example of living, trusting God. Great example. Do we trust God in the day-to-day events of our lives? Do we live believing that God has his hand in the future? uh, And do we have an understanding of what that future is? Is it possible that we might see that there are certain outcomes? But is it also possible that that outcome might not work out quite as we expected it to be. Abraham's experienced that. He knows what that is like. God said, now I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. That is not in the game plan for Abraham. It is not what he expected. It's not what he thought would happen. How did Abraham work that out as he was traveling on the journey to sacrifice his son on the mountain, Hebrews tells us. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's what God says. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, God has promised, as I'm walking towards the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, 
that God has said that it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, Isaac doesn't have children at the point where he's sacrificing, nor does he have children at the point where Abraham is sending his servant off to find a wife. He doesn't have children. Therefore, Abraham has learned a huge lesson that is of massive value to us today. I think I know how it's going to work out. But if it works out in a different way, I am still going to trust God. That's Abraham's point. Go and sacrifice Isaac. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Therefore, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. That's what Hebrews tells us. Abraham's faced with this dilemma. I've been told this. Now he's asked me to do that. Therefore, I can only see one outcome. But my decision that I make is not to prejudge the future, but to just do the present faithfully before God. That's the key. I will do the present faithfully before God. Not trying, I'll work out what I think it must be, but I'll do the present according to what God is saying I need to do. Now that for us today in the lives that we live is an incredibly powerful thought, isn't it? Is the God who we worship, is the God who we love, is the God who we seek to follow the kind of God who loves us in a way that even when things seem as though they are working out massively negatively, is the kind of God that I can still continue to trust in the day-to-day ordinary decisions. That's what Abraham tells us. Trust God day-to-day. Just do the next step. If she's unwilling to come, you are not bound by this, but, (laughs) but don't take him over there because there's already a promise in place, which is this land. So Abraham's working out. Go and find a wife. If she's unwilling to come, don't take him there because it must be that God is going to work it out in a different way. But for now, this is what we're going to do. Do you see the pattern that Abraham is encouraging us to take? The pattern of understanding our relationship with God, step by step, day by day, faithful living, holding on to the promises that we know in the light of the things that we don't know and we're not sure of. It seems as though this must be the way, but if it works out a different way, I'm still going to trust the foundational promises of the God I know. If we lived like that day to day, I guess our our understanding and our trust in God would, would be revolutionized. But the reality is that we don't, do we? We tend to prejudge, we tend to try to think, we try to work out all of the possibilities and we tend to forget the promises that we do know as we try to work out the future that we don't know. So live faithfully, God says. Live trusting me, God says. 
Live obediently in these areas of life, God says. And we say, well, if I do that, then it might, it might, and it could, and it possible, and, and just stop. Abraham would encourage us to say, and just come back and work it out faithfully. How is it, therefore, that Abraham is able to live in this way? Why is it that he is trusting in his old age? Every indication here is that he is really at his very oldest, on his deathbed, it would seem. This is probably a deathbed commitment that the servant makes to Abraham. Quite possible that it is the last conversation that this servant of Abraham has with Abraham. Go and do this for me, this last thing. Why is it that Abraham is trusting in this way? Is it out of blind hope? Or is it an example for us? I think it's a great example for us. So firstly, we see know me in the ordinary life. Secondly, we say, know me by trusting in me. Thirdly, we say, know me because I am faithful to you. See, that's the thing that Abraham has grasped. It's taken so long for him to get there. It's not a kind of flick of the switch and everything's fine. It's taken Abraham a lifetime to get to this point And that's one of the points of this story. It's one of the points of the narrative that our Christian experience doesn't flick on like a switch. It grows. It grows over time. As over time we trust in God and we realize He's been faithful in that. And He's been faithful in that. And He's been faithful in that. And we begin to realize step by step, it's actually not about my trust in Him. It's about how faithful He is to us. It's about His consistency. It's about His security. It's about absolutely written into His character that He will never fail. That's the kind of God that Abraham has got to understand. That's why he's able to say... Therefore, go and find a wife from my own family back there. But if she's not willing to come back, don't take Isaac over there because God's promised this land. Somehow God will work it out because I've experienced it in the past. I've experienced it in the past. You might be, it might be that you're, um, you've only just maybe recently in the first few years of being a believer in Jesus. And right at this point in time, it might seem as though you are faced with all sorts of different challenges. Here, let me give you this encouragement. Number one, keep going. (laughs) Number two, because if you keep going, you will understand that it is God that is keeping you going. That's what you'll understand. Little by little, you will understand that it's God who's kept me in that situation. And it's God who helped me in that situation. And it's God who was faithful in that situation. And we only understand those things when we look back. 
when we realize where we have come from, when we realize the situations that we have been in, because that is the God that we worship and love, a God who is faithful. You know, that kind of exhibiting, number one, learning that kind of faith, but number two, exhibiting that kind of faith It's infectious. It's encouraging to others. You know, there's nothing more encouraging than talking to somebody who's been through it. Year after year after year, but they've kept going because God has kept his hand on them. And as you share in their stories, you realize how faithful God has been. One of the great blessings of our fellowship here is that we've got a breadth of age. Now, that is a wonderful thing because what we're able to do is to look up in understanding to those who have been there in the past and God has been faithful and to learn and to share in those experiences, to be encouraged by those experiences because that is exactly, that is exactly what happens with Abraham's servant. Exactly what happens. Later on, what we see in verse 12, Lord God of my master Abraham, Make me successful today. Show kindness to my master, Abraham. That's his foundation. Isn't it fascinating to see? Here's this guy. He's now traveled for months and months on on a kind of red herring mission, it would seem, in human terms. Listen, um, I want you to go all the way back to my own land and find Isaac a wife. That's... Really? You want me to do that? I'm going to be out of contact. How am I going to know what kind of person it is? How am I going to find out about your family? What's going to, how is it going to work? You know, we haven't got a family tree. You haven't given me an address book. We don't even know how many of your family are still living. We don't know whether they've been wiped out by marauding bandits. We don't know anything about your family. That's what the, that's what the master servant has got in his mind, possibly. He hasn't got a clue. He knows roughly the geography of where to go. He doesn't know whether there are any women in that family. And yet what he does in the decision-making of how to go about that, that process, that task, is he trusts the God of Abraham. You see the way it becomes infectious? I reckon that 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 servant, it seems, by the fact that he is a faithful servant who is in charge of all of Abraham's um, household, it would seem as though he's been there for some time. He's probably sat there, he's talked to him, he's observed, he's watched, he's seen the way it's worked out. He's seen Abraham going through it here and here and here. He's heard stories from the past. He's seen that Abraham has known that this God is faithful, and therefore when he's called to his mission, his first port of call is, Lord God, I'm calling on you because I know you've been faithful to Abraham, and therefore I'm placing my trust in you as well. See that? Because what is written into the character of this wide family by now, is a trust in God. Now, what we're going to see is that 
the sons need to learn how to trust that same God in the way that Abraham had to learn how to trust that God. But the servant's got it, hasn't it? He gets to the spring. He says, see, I'm standing beside this spring. The daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let your, down, your jar, let down your jar that I may have a drink, she'll say, drink, and I'll water your camels too. <laughs> that, that is one massive hope, isn't it? That's just, you're in a strange land, you don't know whether it's part of the family and you just say, right, Lord, I'm in your hands here. I, I'm not actually suggesting that Abraham becomes a model of how to find life partners. Um, I don't know what the equivalent would be today. Um, standing at a petrol station. <laughs> I, I, I hope that the next person who comes into the petrol safe station is win, willing to fill my car up as well. That would be pretty good. But it's deeper, isn't it? What's written in to this servant is the fact that he trusts the God of Abraham. It's become part of his life as well. Because it's been modelled. It's been shaped beforehand in the life of Abraham. What do we see even more, though? And this is just a final, a final thought, really just to set us off in the right direction at the beginning of this series. Because what we're actually about is the absolute faithfulness of God to secure a nation out of whom one day will be born the Savior of the world. Most of us have at some point applied for a job, probably at some point you've had to have written your CV. And your CV, if you like, is that, that you've, everything that you've done before, the kind of person you are, the work that you've done before that you present and you say, right, that's who I am, am I okay to do this job? You get the job and hopefully because of the person that you are, you prove that you are the very, very best person to do this job. You know, in a sense, the whole of the Old Testament is God's CV. It's God's CV of saying, I'm just the right person to do this job. As Jesus comes in and presents his work, it's on the foundation of the, everything that has gone before. It's the credibility that says, I can do this. Because all that we see worked out in Abraham is ultimately worked out in Jesus. Absolute faithfulness. And just as we close, just remember this, that ultimately the CV that Jesus presents in one way, one sense, we kind of look sideways and we're able to see it. But really, the CV that Jesus presents is the CV that is presented before his Father in heaven where he says, I am equipped to do this job. Ultimately, because God is the faithful one.